Welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Greetings, everyone. Hello. Welcome to this week's Tej Talks podcast. I mean, you know that because obviously you've you've pressed Tej Talks on the thing, but welcome if you're, if you're new. Um, so today we're talking to Paul Taylor, really interesting guy that I found uh, via Instagram, really. He started off with a couple of bytelets, as you do. Then he went on a mastermind program and bought 11 properties in that year and raised just under half a million pounds. So we go through some tips about how to find investors and what to say to them and how to pitch yourself correctly. But also what he did with this money was he bought those 11 properties, 11 HMOs, which brought in about 9k a month at that point. A lot of people might retire then and say, cool, we're done. We're good. We'll sit on a beach now. We're easy. But he thought, nah, forget this. So he's now gone on to be building from land, doing things like planning gain and moving on to much bigger projects in the north and also where he lives in Hertfordshire. I mean, for example, he bought a monastery that was on for 500 grand. He bought it for 262 grand. Um, and all in all, this whole site, this this old monastery, will bring in 200 grand a year on rent roll. So, you know, he's he's done pretty well. And one of the ones he's working on at the moment, which is two new build houses, will bring in about 380 grand of profit. You know, he talks about risk mitigation, um, how to show this to investors and also his 100 grand challenge which is how to go from zero cash in the bank to 100 grand via buying and selling if you ever watch any of gary v's like trash talk you'll understand exactly what this is if you haven't left a review for ted talks please do uh, and without further ado here is paul paul taylor welcome to the ted talks podcast good to be on mate good to be on yeah you know i saw you on instagram I think this was I think this was actually quite a while ago. It's taken us a bit of time to to, to get behind the microphones. And then I saw so I mean, you know, there weren't there weren't a lot of property pictures, but from the little snippets I saw of property, I was like, hmm, okay. I think Paul's working on some interesting stuff. I could just kind of tell um from some of the little snippets. And then I saw the hundred K challenge, which we'll you know we'll get to um in a bit. You can tell everyone about that. But I guess, you know, firstly, what were you doing before property or is it something you've always done um it's not something i've always done i was actually up in the city as a commodity broker for nearly 20 years actually and um i i went full-time as property about two years ago but going back the main reason i started investing heavily um in 2012 was when when my son was born i realized in the industry i was in you, you just, I just wasn't going to see him grow up because the hours were quite long, and um, I just wanted to try and get some more passive income so I could have been sort of in control of my own destiny. Mm, okay, and then so you started off with property, and I remember looking at your Instagram. You had a few other things like you own a gym, you're a coach, etc. So, uh, what gave you this sort of? Um, like, was there an epiphany that you said actually? And I, I know you said looking after your son, but what made you say i can do this and have the confidence to just just do all these things um well i'd already already run a lot of businesses alongside my main my main job and i've always had like a drive to be my own boss but never had the confidence to do it and uh it was it was that two, 2012 when he was born that's when i started really pushing myself to um, buy it was mainly starting with single lets buying single lets refurb and getting those let 
And then I just realized it was such a long process to do that. It would have take, it would have taken me 10 years and I'd, I'd set myself a five year goal to get out of work. And I, I then did one of the mastermind programs in 2015, um, which I came as um, one of the runner ups. And that gave me the sort of push I needed to, to go full time into property. So mm. I then handed my notice in as, as soon as I could. Wow. And then, you know, when it came, when it comes to investing, so whereabouts do you live? I'm in Hertfordshire. Okay, so do you invest in Hertfordshire? I did originally, and then because when I started, you just don't know anyone else in property. Like I had no one to bounce ideas off of. I had no one that I could really JV with or or work with. So I had to really start networking quite hard in the first few years and built up a lot of good relationships, which then meant I could invest in other areas in the UK, relying on those relationships. Mm, okay so you had those kind of first buy to lets realized you know this is this is too slow went on a mastermind course which we were one are up on what what then changed in your strategy from single lets to what so i then i then knew to accelerate the process of, of getting out of work i needed to go for higher cash flowing strategies and um hmos was, was the route i took and then um just over the next couple of years i, I think i put on around 10 hmos and um, went through the refer process. We're doing two at a time, pretty much for two years solid. And then, um, and then, and then got to a stage where the cash flow was enough for me to leave work. And then reanalyzed again and realized that I then needed to build cash lump sums. So now doing new build developments uh, as long as as well as HMOs as well. So my biggest my biggest passion is uh, mitigating as much risk as I can just coming from a financial background that I will always run a couple of schemes at the same time historically. So something that would be capital gain, but obviously most HMOs will, you will leave cash in. So you need another deal alongside that to replace the, the cash that's going to be left in. So I, I normally do a capital gain project alongside a multi-let at the, at the moment. I, li- I like the way you've kind of phrased that because in my head I was just picturing, yep, the flip brings in the line of cash. You then basically use that to leave in a HMO deal to give you cash flow, which means it's not your own money because, you, you know, you've created it from equity or you've exactly, created yeah. it from the ground up. That's really smart. <laughs> okay. And then whereabouts did you buy all these HMOs? Um, so the, f- the first one I actually bought was in, um, in Barnsley. In South Yorkshire, so I was working with one of my f- um, fellow masterminders at the time, and um, we—I think we soon uh, did about seven up there, and then um, then I did a couple near me um, in Harlow in Essex, in Chesant, and then um, as far afield as um, as Wrexham in North Wales, but we ended up turning that. So we were going the H- we bought it to do as a HMO, and then that's been run as a service accommodation for the last. Two and a half years, um, which which cash flows really well, but uh, you know it's not my it's not my favourite strategy. SA, especially when you you hit the VAT threshold, it's uh, makes it quite tricky. So yeah, I've heard. Uh, yeah, okay. so um, yeah, it's not it's not great, but um, I think we'll end up switching that back to a HMO anyway. So just get back to what I know best. Okay, and did you buy all of these HMOs with your own cash? Uh, so that during that during that mastermind year, I had some I had some money from my um, house. I refinanced my house um, as much as I could because it was such cheap borrowing at the time, and then um, did a couple. 
But during the mass one year, I deliberately set out to use none of my money because I wanted to prove to myself that it can be done and you don't need, you know, you don't need your own funds um, to do it because I knew I was going to leave work and then I wouldn't have any access to funds as easy. So I wanted to be able to prove myself as a case study that um, it, it could be done. And I think during that year I raised, I think it was 498,000 in um, joint venture loans. For, for that mastermind year and um yeah just sort of gone from there really so you know let's talk about the the raising investment because that is one of the you know when people are new in property it is the hardest thing that sort of people talk about and then you realize probably finding the deals is, is harder um how did you raise so much in your first year where yeah you know you had a few buy to lets before you had a you know a bit of experience to say look i can do this thing you know here's my kind of proof but irrespective of that what did you do to find this much money well it was it was loads of different people it wasn't like um i was getting it from one person but i was just telling everyone what i was doing and um as you say the the best thing i had was the case studies of the the deals i'd already done the the refurbs i mean some of the single lets on the refurb i managed to on the refinance sorry managed to pull all the money out so it was they were really good case studies to have and you know 2012 was 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 quite a um a bull market so it was it was moving up quite quickly so a, a cool tailwind of that which was great but i was also adding equity by adding bedrooms uh, doing complete re- rehauls of the, of the property so those case studies were key i think for me uh, to get the um to get the credibility and the and the and the, and the people in for the funding yeah and would you say that you know if people would, would you advise people to maybe buy one or two with their own cash, if possible, and then seek investment? Or do you think it's still possible without that case study? It's definitely harder, that's for sure. I think it's, I think it's possible because if you've, got, um, if you've got a real passion for this stuff and you, you're really thorough with your homework, um, really thorough with your numbers and not being too optimistic, then I think if you can show a very good spreadsheet with very fixed costs, then why wouldn't someone invest in it if it's if it's an eight, ten percent return and they're getting a quarter of a percent in their bank? If you're if you give a great pitch on the money you need to raise, then I don't see why anyone wouldn't do it, even without a case study. Yeah. And when you say great pitch, when we break that down, what does that look like? So someone who's new in property or even someone who's not new but hasn't raised it before who's listening, what is, in your opinion anyway, a great pitch to an investor or to someone who could be an investor? Well, it's um, the way I do it is I generally try to make it not feel like a pitch. That's 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 the important thing. It's it's normally during a casual conversation. I would um, I'd mention I'm doing these. I'd always have a case study to show, and then go from there. And I say, look, you know, I've got um, ex colleagues, friends, people that have actually taken, you know, try to take investment from other stuff and then put it into me because they believe in it and having having that structure of how you pitch it is is key but the main thing is just having the confidence to say look this this has happened this is what's going to happen this is my exit and the biggest thing i'll always say is you just need to have multiple exits on all these deals because if you're doing a in fact i give an example a friend of mine he he'd actually invested with myself and then invested with uh, another another uh, property person but they only had one exit they had a 
um, a renovate to sell exit. And um, of course, if it doesn't sell, you're not going to get your money back in time. So that, and that's what's happened. But uh, I'll always try and give myself a secondary or third exit. For example, we're building a house at the moment and um, it's, it's a build to sell, but we're making the room sizes just enough that it would work as a HMO with a very easy transition um, for a few thousand pounds to give us that second exit. So having those exits, I think, makes the investors a lot more confident in putting their money in because their first their first reaction would be if you if you're building to sell, what happens if you don't sell? And that will give them you know, a worry. Yeah. So it comes with having a, a kind of normal conversation, dropping it in as we do anyway, but making sure that you do drop it in. You have the confidence to answer any questions they have and the confidence to say, look even if this is, you know, your first deal, to say, these are the costs, this is the outcome, have multiple exits, de-risk it, um, and I guess put yourself in their shoes, right? Because would you invest in something that had one exit? I mean, maybe, but, you know, you'd want to probably invest in something that has three, right? Yeah, I think so. And, um, it, you know, the, the other the other thing is just showing the activity in the market on, on your exit as well. So showing the comparables, etc. I'll always try and do that if, um, if the question's raised. But, I'll generally try and keep it quite basic because a lot of the non-property people that you're trying to get investment from don't really want to know too much of the details. That's that's how I found it. And and one one of the other crazy things was at the start, I was trying to raise the money and I was really struggling. I was really struggling because I think I was offering like 10 or 11% and people were thinking it's just too good to be true. And I dropped the rate down to six to seven. And then suddenly I started getting investment in, which was which I thought was crazy. But <laughs> it, it was crazy. honestly it was honestly the case because it was I mean, some people offered twenty percent on these deals and my immediate reaction is it's too good to be true. Mm. And uh, how's that sustainable? But sometimes sometimes it works if you're if you're providing equity. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there's an element of that with the non property related people they they would think that it's too good to be true if you're giving too high a rate. That's really interesting. I think that's yeah, like when crazy. you're selling a product, right? It's about pricing. If it's too cheap, it looks cheap. If it's too expensive, yeah. it's, it's kind of that finding the right thing for your market. So that's really interesting. You know, for people out there listening, if you're offering 10, 12% to non-property people because you want to give them a good return, maybe you kind of drop it down and give them less yeah. of a return, but give them more, I don't know, sort of, mental security or something that's that's really interesting wow okay so you raised this money almost half a million um you know you can do a lot with that so you bought all these hmos did you source them project manage them do everything yourself from start to finish well i couldn't because of the because of the uh, areas i was investing they were they were all in that in that one year program i think it was 11 months um Everything was, you know, hundreds of miles away. So I was using, and I was still working, obviously. So I was using all my days off to go and check sites. So that was a, that was a very tiring year. But um, I would always employ a project manager and pay them ten percent of the build, and uh, try and, and then try and give a bonus on keeping it on budget as well. So they wouldn't then run the costs up to get the extra ten percent, ten percent of their overspend. So I'd always try and give a bonus for capping it as well um so it would work at about 12 percent but um I, that was the only way i could do it because i was working full-time i had to leverage as many people as possible to give myself a chance of um of getting getting some good results um which which was i was very pleased with the results that came in at the end of the year wow and then so you know a lot of people 
try and do successfully um, invest whilst they have a full-time job and, and kind of raise money. But what are some, I know so you gave a top tip there, but what are some of your other tips for people who are trying to do this um, and obviously have some kind of balance in their life? Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely tough if you're going as, as, as fast as I was trying to go. But um, I mean, the, the biggest thing is is just networking and meeting the right people because at the end of the day, you can't scale without good people around you. And um, that that was the biggest thing for me. And I, I literally spent a year um, just going out to networking events, meeting various people, etc., and just wouldn't say no to any sort of offers I got to get to go. And um, that was one massive thing. And um, the the biggest and best relationships I've built were actually with the builders. Um, it's not, everyone thinks you need to find investors, but sometimes you need to find a, a good builder um, first before the investor. And I, and I feel if the if the deal's right and the deal's good, then the money then you'll find the money. And um, I mean, there was there were some cases of where I wouldn't recommend doing this, but I would I would I'd go to auction and um, I'd win the auction with only the ten percent deposit, and I'd, I'd then have to try and sort the finance out in, in twenty eight days. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, That's it always pretty, fun. Yeah, it was pretty stressful, but um, you know because the properties were quite because they were quite cheap because they were in South Yorkshire. I was paying less than a hundred thousand per per unit. Then it, it wasn't as hard a task as trying to find say three hundred fifty thousand for a, a two bed house near where I live. So it was um, it was a tough challenge, but it also made me take action because I knew yeah. I had that time pressure. Absolutely, so it's a calculated risk, right? Yeah. Um, so you I mentioned. I recommend it though. <laughs> That's pretty you... well. I've got no hair. <laughs> so you mentioned builders now you know finding builders again is something that is tough even for investors who have been doing it for a while like they still tell me you know it, we still have to get rid of builders you know find new ones what's been what's worked really well for you in terms of one finding them and then two keeping them and i think um i think one of the things is I mean, you've you've got you've got to try and give them some sort of benefit for doing a good job. Like if you're just paying them a fixed fixed rate, then it's it's not great. And um, some of the builders I'm working with now are you know JV partners on the deal, so they've got real skin in the game to actually succeed and bring it in on budget. So that that's that's the main thing for me. In the earlier days when I was just doing it purely on contract, yes, you go through builders, you go through i mean i think one scheme where we built um, we did a hmo to four flat conversion i think we went through six plumbers on that scheme so i'm not i'm never claiming it's easy and uh, it's definitely not but having a main point of contact is is the key for me that the person that you can trust because i didn't really know about the the six seven plumbers until after the scheme and uh, they say look it's just an absolute nightmare with it but um you know it's having that point of contact is takes a lot of stress off and the, the way I worked all the projects was because I was working, I had to leverage other people, as I say. So I'd have um, I employed a girl in the office here to to deal with like all the letting agents and the builders, and the letting agents would then deal with the tenants. So I wouldn't have the stress because the, the tenant side of it really stresses me out. So I try and avoid, I try and avoid it at all costs. And uh, it it was uh, at least this way. I know I've got two. I've got two lines of protection before I have to hear about anything. So only if a problem is so bad that the agents can't deal with it, and then 
the girls in the office can't deal with it, then I know about it. So that's, that's, that works well for me. And it's rare that I hear anything. So that's good. Hmm, okay. So now at this point, you've raised almost half a million. You've got, was it 10 HMOs? I think it was around that, yeah. I think, okay. um, I, I can't remember which ones were actually within the year. I think it was 11 property deals in that year. Okay, and then once they were all done and refurbished, how much were they bringing in a month? Include so, let's say at this point in time, including your your buy to let from earlier and your HMOs, what what was the profit looking like a month? Um, I think it was around eight nine thousand a month, something like that. Okay, um, and at, and at this point, some people would stop property and say, "Cool, I'm done. I'm gonna you know, retire. <laughs> I'm gonna be on a beach. I'm gonna do my thing." What you know? What made you say, "Nah, I want more." Well, it was, um, I actually tried to semi-retire. I actually tried to go that route. And um, I lit- I sat here for having such a frantic couple of years before. I, I really realized that I-, I thrived on the pressure of it and um, multitasking and-, and doing stuff, doing stuff, um, you know, full on. And when I tried to relax and wind down, I think it- I think I lasted about three months. I realized I was so unhappy. I, I literally had nothing to do. Um, I'd go down the gym. I was in, I was um, getting very fit, but uh, <laughs> I was just not, I just not enjoying it. I wasn't happy. So um, it, I then started ramping it up again and um, doing, I, I get much more satisfaction out doing the new builds now, which, um, which is, you know, re- really enjoyable to see. We're actually just getting to the back end of one at the moment. We're starting one locally to me as well which is great um because i get to go on site quite often um so for example i'm going tomorrow to great yarmouth we've got three new builds coming to the back end tomorrow but there's the site visits the bit i enjoy and um yeah i i just couldn't i couldn't relax i i, I struggle to relax and i'll put my hands up to that but uh i, re- I realized pretty quickly that there's not many people around during the day that of your friends um for a good another 15 20 years so i thought about it (laughs) (laughs) yeah no absolutely it's the curse of an entrepreneur you work hard to get to the point where you can retire then you're like um actually no i'm gonna kind of keep keep doing this and keep getting stressed like why not (laughs) so then so you went into new build so are you built as you're buying land getting planning and building on is that right yeah that's right and um but still doing the multi-lets as well so we've um we're just we're just doing bigger ones now so the the one we've just uh, got planning on is uh, 37 bedrooms up in uh, up in Newcastle. Now that's going to be that's going to be a, a great deal and um yeah we've got the planning through recently. We've actually it's it's a two stage development. Um so it's almost it's it's very close to being a new build because it was such bad condition we've had to go completely completely back um just salvaging the the main building cuz it's a nice building but um that that's going to be a phenomenal, uh, and they're all on suite as well. So it's going to be a yeah, it's going to be a, a big big project. But so um, we've we've already converted the caretaker house at the back into eight bed seven bath. So that's about to get let now, and then we move on to the main building, uh, which used to be a monastery. Uh, wow, what a cool what a cool place to make a HMO. Yeah, so- it, was, um, it was it was incredible. Like I was really pleased. It was it was in such. Um, such poor condition and uh, i think that the local council had a lot of trouble with it with um break-ins etc so i think they were quite amenable to a new scheme on it and then i didn't think we'd get it to be honest what what are the kind of figures on it purchase price refurb end value rent things like that so 
they, it almost it almost sounds unbelievable because when I was trying to refinance it, it was they were almost saying it was um, they had to fact check it because it was, it was very strong numbers on it. But it took uh, I think it took about six months to negotiate on, and uh, we ended up buying the whole site. I think it initially was on for about half a million, but um, we bought it for two hundred and sixty-two thousand in the end. So, oh, it was a, it was a roller coaster ride, but the the previous the seller had had two um, collapse sales, and on the last one he'd already evicted all the tenants, and there was loads of break-ins, um, loads of um, loads of trouble around there. So he was just very motivated to sell, and uh, we got we got it done in the end for two sixty two. The, the the rear building, we spent about seventy thousand getting it to the level um, to get it let, but that that alone will generate three six. Three thousand six hundred a month on the back house, and that's a three six rent roll, right? Three six rent roll, yeah. So that, that I mean, it's it's interesting. We're about to get it valued on the back, but um, we're trying to get two hundred. We're, we're trying to go for two hundred sixty-two thousand on the back building alone <laughs> to try to try and get it. I think it realistically it's probably going to be around the two hundred mark, but um, we then we'll then we're out to tender at the moment on the main building. But the rent roll for the whole site is going to be two hundred thousand a year. Um, once, once it's full, yeah, it's a it's a crazy it's a crazy scheme. But uh, and we'll be we'll be into it hopefully under under a million with all the build because the the roof on it needed replacing. So we've managed to get planning for a whole other level in there with nine dormers. So it's a it's a fairly it's a fairly substantial build that <laughs> and. Um, I'm looking forward to getting started. So it's all ripped out already, so it's like a massive haul in there at the moment. Wow, that is that is pretty cool. And, and did no like other investors want this building? They did, and um, one of the reasons we got it, and uh, this is this is this just shows you always to fact check everything. Was the agent had listed the building as um, he he got the size? They didn't do a floor plan like because it was it was literally a warren of rooms. I think it had. 35 rooms in the main building so they never they never got around to doing a floor plan and they actually took the meterage of the building off of the epc and um one tip i always give is just to always not the, the epc is not always right and uh, they had this building i think it was a 450 meters and i was walking around it, i was thinking it is so much bigger than that and um the most exciting day was after we bought it, getting the survey done to see how big the thing was. And I think it was um, 750 meters. So everyone's <laughs> pricing the purchase off of the meterage from desktop appraisals. And unless they're actually going in it, they probably wouldn't realize how much bigger it was. So the um, it, it was almost 50% larger than than what than what was advertised. So that was one reason we got it really cheap. Wow, that's that's a lot bigger than advertised. So I guess for everyone listening, even if something doesn't work out desktop and it's kind of maybe a, a strange or big or, or old building like this, just go and view it because it's not, you know, it's not necessarily going to take up a lot of your time, but as Paul just showed you, you could have an incredible deal um, that nets what some portfolios net in, in one kind of big lump, um, which is pretty awesome. And I mean, what kind of tenants are you going to get in... So with, with with the number of beds you're going to have, are you going to have shared kitchens, or is it like what's what's so it's, it going to be it's like? A, it's effectively going to be six flats, um, around five to six bedrooms each, uh, six kitchens, 
So I, I didn't want to go for a scheme where you've got more than six or seven sharing a kitchen because I think it causes too much conflict. Um, it makes um, it makes the professionals not want to live there, etc. So it's effectively it's got two doors at each end, two staircases as it sits at the moment. So you'll have three flats off of each staircase at each end, and then communal space around the back. And um, it's it's fairly close to the city centre. It's it's very close to Heaton. In, in the Newcastle area, which is very desirable, but it's literally 100 metres outside of Heaton, which is another reason why we got a good price on it. But um, we had, um, we actually did a eight bed uh, last year, uh, maybe 300 metres away, and that, that is full at the moment. So we know the demand is there um, to get it full. Obviously, it's going to take a lot longer to get all of those rooms done, but uh, just looking at the, the spare room ad we've got on the, on the rear building, that is, um, we've had so many inquiries for that because it's not ready yet. Um, but we've got lists, we've got loads of viewings listed, um, ready to go. So I'm hoping that will then move on to the, the extra 29 rooms when they come, come available next year. Wow. And you're anticipating like professionals to move in? <clears throat> yeah, that's what, that's what we're going to aim for. And, um, we filled our eight, eight bed house with professionals as well. Wow. Okay, and indeed, and you bought this deal off. It wasn't off the council. It was off like a just a private individual. Right? It was off. A, it was off a tired landlord who was um, wow. he was living off the, he was living off the rent, but never reinvesting it into the building, and it just got worse and worse, which meant his tenant type got worse and worse. I so see. And and you did say before it took six months of negotiation, right? It did. Yeah. Um. They we got outbid a couple of times, even. Even on the, I think two days before exchange, we got outbid by twenty thousand. But we just, we just made us. It was two days before exchange, and we worked hard all that day, got ourselves to offer exchange that day that we got outbid, and they went for it because he had two. He just wanted someone to perform because he had two collapsed sales. And then, and there must have been, there must have been twenty five to thirty skips worth of rubbish in there. <laughs> Easy. And uh, and one crazy thing he did was he actually signed the contract with vacant possession. So technically, with all the stuff in there, that was not vacant possession. So he then had to clear the whole building. That's a bit silly of him. <laughs> <laughs> it, was a, it was a bit of a result, though. That's... So we, we ended up um, taking ended up taking two weeks. We nearly went to notice on the on the contract because he couldn't obviously complete in time before he got the building cleared. It was. Uh, it was a very stressful few days, and I actually thought a few times we were going to lose the property, lose that property deal. But uh, glad, glad it got over the line, and it, it, that'll be a, that'll be a great one. It will be, and I think you know what's really important is that you said it took six months to negotiate. It then took two days before completion. It needed to fill out bed. Then it took, I mean, before exchange. Sorry. Then it took you know almost before completion, falling out of bed again. This is good for people to hear because. We've spoken about how good the deal is and how awesome the figures are. And of course, I'm sure the building looks gorgeous from the outside and it'll be great inside. But it's good for people to hear this because people generally only see this end result. They don't see, oh, Paul's been stressing for six months. He's been back and forth. So it's good you've shared that, right? Because that, this is what it takes to get a deal like this, right? Yeah, this is that's the, that's the reality of it. And, um, you know, no, no deal straightforward. And uh, another another example of... This this was even more stress. Was a deal we completed on two weeks ago near me, 
we bought it under auction conditions, exchanged, and then um, had to get the development finance. And then the bank came out and valued downvalued it by one hundred thirty thousand. Oh, only one hundred thirty thousand! Wow, just, just <laughs> that, yeah, just less than we bought it, and that didn't mean we had to find one hundred thirty thousand. That mean they categorically wouldn't lend on it because they thought we'd overpaid, which was which was crazy. But it was a it was categorically it was very it's very local to me, so I know the area, and. Um, there's an existing house, and it meant they valued the two plots next to it as seventy thousand each, which is ludicrous in in Hertfordshire. Yeah, and uh, they're for two detached houses. So uh, we tried to argue it, but we, because we're under auction conditions, we just didn't have the time. So um, had to go around and raise the money privately. In uh, I think it was twenty two days by the time we uh, we got going. It was that was that was probably the hardest thing we've done property wow nothing is is certain is it you think banks and valuers would see common sense and like reality with comparables and stats but that's just that is that is a lot of stress (laughs) (laughs) so you know you went from hmos to kind of new builds how many new builds have you built or are they all being built at the moment um so it's we're going through different levels of scheme one uh one's about to be finished i've I've done a few times i've done a few times where i've got land i've got the planning and then um, either sell it or try and refinance it. But um, the the new build schemes, we're we're literally lining them up now because, as I say, I've only moved on to this in the last in the last year or so. But um, yeah, three three are coming to the end now. Um, we've completed on a site um, for sixteen uh, flats, and um, we think the site is underdeveloped. So we're going back to planning to try and get twenty four on that one. But they'll they'll be an they'll be an amazing, amazing that'll be an amazing scheme if we get that through the twenty four. But um, and also got these two detached new builds locally to me, which we're just getting the conditions um, discharged at the moment because uh, we've uh, we've we literally only completed them about two weeks ago. And then we've got another site um, which is exchanged, and uh, that's for seven houses, two flats. So they're, they're all in the process of getting done. And it, that's why tomorrow I'm going up to site to see the back end of this one get finished. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing how they're coming along. But it looks like a really good scheme. It's all, all very modern anthracite gray windows and um, uh, K-rendered throughout. And, uh, it looks very modern in a, in a more period area. So it does stand out a little bit, but I think it's going to raise the ceiling price for that road. <laughs> Okay, fantastic. And I think but I, want, I want to talk about new builds, but before we get there, you mentioned you use like a planning gain strategy. So how does one find land um, and then find land that will get planning on it and then sell it? And what kind of profit can people make from a strategy like this? Just for anyone who hasn't really heard of it before, kind of wants to get into it. So, and this, this one was actually part of a HMO and um, for those who have a HMO you, you realise you don't really want to be maintaining a garden anyway so I bought um, I bought this property for 90,000 uh, it was it was actually one I did during the mastermind year and I then it had double frontage on the front so I then uh, title split the building so I ended up with a small garden converted that to a five bed HMO and let that out and um, that was cash flowing really well and then went for planning for the, the plot to the right and um, got planning for a detached house that actually, if we if we ever built it out, um, would be another six bed, six bath HMO. The, the size of it and the layout we, we got planning for works perfectly as that. 
but it's one of those I've just sort of sat on it with the with the appreciation of value that I've got now from the planning. Um, I've just sat on it until um, things slow down a little bit, then I'll be able to build that one out. But um, it's, there's you can you can almost reevaluate some of the properties you have already that may have plots there, and um, and go for that. But um, with regards to the planning game stuff, the, the ones I'm looking at tomorrow was uh, we took an option on that to uh, split off garden again and uh, went for planning. So there wasn't too much risk for us because the only downside we had was the just the cost of planning, which was you know a few thousand pounds and the architect's drawings. So to take a calculated risk on, on something like that, I think is, is really worth it because we've ended up with three nice townhouses out of, out of a garden plot that we effectively got an option. Wow. So, you know, reevaluate the properties already in your portfolio, you know, look at them on Google Maps, the ones you own, look at the land around it, look at the title deeds, like, because there could be, there could be hidden gems in the land but at the same time they may not be right you might have a house in london and it has no land next to it and you're, you're kind of stuck but what kind of profits you know if you weren't going to build these things out and you you know you just want to sell them on what kinds of profits are we looking at on these planning games um they, they can be quite substantial like for example most of the because the um the three that we're building are in not the most affluent area the build cost is probably you know, we could. It was touch and go whether we sell the land with planning or build them out. There was it probably adds another fifteen thousand a unit, but I just wanted to go through the process of actually building the things out, and um, it's it's going to look really well. But that that land effectively went from fifteen to twenty thousand value as a, as a garden to a ninety thousand plot just by the planning gain of the spend of a three or four thousand pounds. So it shows you sort of increases you can get and obviously if you're in london and you get something like that then it's going to be a lot bigger numbers and um you know it's it's they're definitely worth doing but as part of a balanced portfolio i think it's well worth having some speculative land yeah i mean that that value increase where are you going to get that value increase from from a couple of grand and papers and some drawings and you know fighting the council like it's kind of like you're just not going to see that in in other strategies, and and planning doesn't take too long, right? Was it a couple of months to get it approved? Yeah, I think it was. Um, it was about ten weeks. Something okay, like that. so ten <laughs> weeks to go from fifteen grand to ninety. I think everyone listening would love that, no matter how uh, experienced or inexperienced you are. There's, you know, like Paul said, in a balanced portfolio, that you know maybe makes some room for for planning gain. So. Once you've got the planning, you then, you know, with some of these, you are building them out, right? So going from, you know, bytelets to HMOs to now building from land, um, it was quite of a nice progression. Maybe take take me through, like, I don't know, one of the the properties that you're building at the moment or or you're kind of nearly finishing on, like the figures, kind of what it is, and I don't know, maybe some of the challenges you've experienced. Um, Well, some of the challenges are, are the getting the finances getting the finances through but um trying to think what would be the main challenges i mean a lot of it is getting the development finance it can be tricky um for example the um the townhouse scheme we're doing at the moment we we tried to get development finance about two or three times but it just took so long that we, i was end up having to, to rather than stop the builders having to write raise privately uh, the money just to keep the build going so it, it, all it meant was the fees, the actual cost of borrowing 
was getting more and more expensive because I needed to borrow less and less as the scheme went on and they would get they were taking too much time that the fees like the two percent so you pay two percent normally on the entry and one percent on exit of development finance those fees don't disappear so the less money you're borrowing the more effectively the APR is that you're paying so the longer that scheme was going on it um, it just made it less and less viable to actually take development finance but it got to a point where you just can't raise any more private cash so we then had to um we end up taking a bridge on it just to get it just to get it finished and um it's uh it's definitely a challenge you have to predict far in advance what uh what your cash flow is going to do because when we i mean we, i think we've got seven or eight schemes on at the moment so the cash flow is so imperative to keep everything going um, otherwise, we're going to be we're going to be struggling um, if we don't look two to three months in advance. And it's 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 got tight sometimes because some schemes go over budget, which they're always going to. And um, that that's the biggest challenge is just forecasting your cash flow, um, which is a challenge for any business. Yeah. And what what makes development finance so slow? Um, it's it's the amount of, it's the amount of documentation and queries that that come up and. Um, because I've got, for example, they'll want to see your bank statements and then they'll want to know what this transfer is. And when you're, when you're, I mean, personally, I've got quite a few businesses. So if I'm always transferring between businesses um, and then they want an explanation of every transfer and um, it's, it can take so much time because they'll, they'll ask, they'll get the questions back and then they'll need to go again. So it's almost beneficial to have quite a, clean and basic um sort of uh, portfolio i guess if you were just in property it would make life a bit easier but when you've got other businesses it does make it more complicated and when you're taking dividend payments from other companies and they want explanation of everything so um which i'm happy to give but it just takes time yeah okay and then talk me through one of the new bills in terms of like the figures and kind of what it is going to be okay so um so we've got the scheme we're starting now. So effectively, we've, we've paid 720000 for this scheme. Um, it's going to be two new builds, and we have an existing semi-detached house there at the moment, which we're now, we're two weeks in. We've, we've started the build. We're putting a loft conversion on there. So we're going to spend around about 40000 on the house and then around two eighty building out the new builds. So we're in for three twenty on that. Um, with a seven with a seven uh, twenty purchase, and by the time you got the fees etc. in there, then um, you know we're just over a million. But I think the GDV for the three, so the, the exit on this is we're going to get the the semi detached house turned around as quickly as possible, and that will mean we'll get that sold. I, I think it's going to be around four seventy five, and then we'll sell that to pay the bridge down on that, and then it, so that means it's unencumbered land on the two plots. And then we'll build. Then we'll build those out. So the the numbers on that, it, it should end up with around, I think, three hundred eighty thousand profit on the on the scheme. So um, with most of the money in the in the new builds, we, we'll we'll effectively break even on the house. But um, it's it's going to be all on those new build schemes. And um, yeah, that, that, I'm really looking forward to that one because I get to go there twice a week rather than once every two weeks because it's so local. Yeah, absolutely. And so, I mean, I'm guessing you bought so you bought the house and it had big plot of land next to it. Yeah. And I mean, you know, with these kind of 
things where you've got that big plot of land next to it. Do you find that a lot of other investors who are maybe also viewing and offering are thinking the same thing as you? Definitely, definitely because um, with this particular builder, um, we were trying to find, I think we bid on about seven or eight projects before we got this one. And um, we actually went to auction, I think, four or five times. And one thing I found is the auction price just go nuts. And um, this one, we actually bought pre-auction the day before because we built a relationship with the vendor. And um, the, the, builder, the builder knew him quite well. And, uh, and we managed to get it bought before auction. So it was it's, it's very hard to buy. And there's definitely a lot of competition, especially in the southeast, for other people looking at similar schemes. Mm. And, you know, competition is something that, again, people people worry about. What what are your thoughts on, you know, kind of com- like competition and competing in general? Do you just think bring the best product to market, build the best relationships and you'll succeed? I, th- I think so, yeah. I mean, for example, HMO room competition, that's always going to be a problem. And um, which is why I generally try and always build on suites. So you bring a better product to the market and... Um, I mean, you could, if you look on um, if you look on some of my images of uh, of some of the, the finishes we've done, they've, they've come out really well. And um, we had uh, one of the one of the projects we did in Harlow. The builder that actually built built it had another investor show him pictures of my building, say, "Can you build this like this?" And he said, "Yes, I built that." <laughs> so I can definitely do it. It's, it's nice awesome. to hear that. Yeah, it's nice to hear that that people are trying to replicate our product. Yeah, so it's quite satisfying to to do that, but I think it helps you stay more competitive in the market, so you don't have to always rely on price. Yeah, okay, and so that's kind of what you've done in property, and you're building things from the ground up. What um what advice could you give maybe to someone who was where you were, you know, before? So you've, you've got some HMOs, got some buy to list. They really want to build from land. What kind of advice would you give to them getting started in that? I mean, you have to you have to do a lot of um, research. You have to do a lot of following up, and uh, it's it's imperative to just keep putting offers in. And um, you know, I'm saying I've like, oh, picked up this deal, that deal. It sounds I'm not trying to make it sound easy because it's not. But um, I'm literally offering on probably twenty properties before I get that one deal because I'm trying to get a very competitive price and most people are just going to tell you no. So you just have to be relentless at keep going after these deals. Otherwise, you're just not going to get there. And, um, you, you know, you might be on your 15th no and then give up, but it could be the next one that comes in. Mm, okay. And so I remember from your Instagram, you're doing a few different things. So... Tell everyone what is the 100k challenge and what are you what are you doing basically? So this this actually came from a debate I was having with someone on Instagram and um, it wasn't really a debate it was uh, it was a young lad he was he just approached me and said look what can I do to get extra cash and I was saying I would I would probably go out buy stuff online in bulk try and sell it for more etc talking through the process and he just had. Um, I always say it's some people is it they have a a problem for every solution, and he was coming up with every argument and to saying I haven't got the time. I said, well, I'm working quite a lot of hours. I love you know you can make the time. You can do it in a couple of hours a day, and then it was yeah, but you have money to invest, so you don't need money to invest. 
So rather than me debate this, I thought it would be what a great way to, to show it, to showcase that it can be done. And also the main reason was to teach my son, who's turning seven next week, actually the value of money and how buying, just the concept of buying and selling. So <clears throat> I set out uh, January the 1st with a challenge of trying to get to £100,000 uh, by the end of the year. Um, and I was literally, I had to so this is a completely isolated experiment. I have to start with no cash. Um, I couldn't really use any of the relationships I already had. And um, I, so I went out and the, literally getting back to basics. And it, I, do you know what? I've absolutely loved every part of this challenge because it is getting back to raw entrepreneurship and trying to hustle every day. And um, that I started out with going onto Facebook ads, uh, Facebook marketplace, typing stuff in for free, looking for stuff for free locally to me, and then literally racing there to go and pick it up. And then I'd relist it, stick it onto eBay, stick it back onto Facebook marketplace sometimes. I think um, it was one day. It was one day I picked up uh, I picked up a headboard for free. This is this is how basic I was going. I uh, picked up a headboard for free, listed it as I was sat outside the person's house, then sold it for twenty five pounds, and they picked it up. But you have to be so quick on this stuff. People think that why do people don't give stuff away for free? They do, but you have to be so quick. And I was doing that. Then I was going to car boot sales, which I still am every week. I take my son there every week. And um, it's quite nice to, I just enjoy negotiating anyway. So I, I enjoy, I get as much of a thrill out of getting a tenner out of something I paid a pound for than I would a, a big development. It's, it's crazy. And uh, so as we, as we stand at the moment, um, we are very close to completing the challenge already. And we're very close. I think we're on 90. So effectively, I don't know when to end the challenge. This is the, this is the quandary. I haven't thought about it, but... Um, do I end it when I turn everything back to cash? Because as we sit at the moment, we've got about 98,000 stock. So all I'm doing is I'm buying stuff. I'm selling off some of it cheaply to get my money back out. And then I'm then selling it of whatever I can for the rest of it because effectively it's cost me nothing, even if it takes a bit of time. So all I've done at the moment, um, I've built up um, 98,000 in stock. I think we've got about 3,000 in the pot at the moment. So I think I'd, I think it's going to cost me ten to fifteen thousand to sell all that stuff in fees, etc. And um, so I need to get myself to about one hundred and twenty before I can probably say I've done it. But uh, it's it's been amazing, and we've got to the stage now. We've got um, I'm renting a two thousand seven hundred square foot warehouse to put this stuff in um, <laughs> because we did, we did a big gym challenge where and because I own a gym, I had um, real good knowledge of the prices, and I went to um, I went to a company that they'd seized the property of um, of a bankrupt gin. And um, I managed to stick a bid in, got it, without the money, without the anywhere to put it, without any way to move it. And I had three days to figure out how I was going to sort that out. And um, we paid, I think it was 20000 plus the VAT for all this equipment. And I then, over the next three days, pre-sold, I think it was just over 20000 Um So we ended up with... A half a warehouse full of stuff for, for nothing and that's that's the concept of this this challenge and it just shows you that if you if you're hungry enough and you you can be creative enough then it, it can be done you don't need the you don't need the funds and um it, and you but a lot of people are some people are too proud to do this the, the, the basic stuff to start but 
I think if you want to succeed, you can't be too proud to to do anything. And uh, it was um, I. I actually I will still drive along. Uh, in fact, the other day I driving along free bike by the side of the road with my son. <laughs> I go. I go in, we take a picture of it, stick it onto eBay, even though it's not a good use of my time, but I just can't help it. <laughs> and, and it's also the, the biggest benefit, I'll say, from doing this challenge. It's made me really appreciate the value of every pound again, which means with the builds going back to property, I'm then critiquing the quotes a lot more, which is eventually going to bring my, going to bring my bill costs down because I'm, it's so easy just to glaze over a thousand pound overspend here and there. And when you're when you're rushing around trying to get fifty pounds or something, you realise that's a lot of money. Um, and it is always money, but when you when you're doing a scheme where you know, it's a five hundred k spend, it's very easy just to sign off one thousands here and there without really checking it. So it's um, it's been a massive benefit, but it's it's been a very enjoyable journey, and we've documented it all on YouTube. Um, so I think we're on about video fifteen or sixteen. Um, but it's it's very varied, and it, I think my son's grown massively through the process, which has been the big, biggest reward out of the lot. Wow! So it's been it's been great, but exhausting. Yeah, I can imagine. I think that's like the real definition of like hustling. You know, literally on the streets, on your phone, getting things done quickly, getting out there to get the free things, relisting them. I think. Gary V always talks about this. People say to him, oh, how do I make money? Like, I'm really young and I have no clue what to do. And he says, do what you oh. just did, which is buy and sell. And it was, um, he he actually does a show called Trash Talk where he goes around garage sailing, which is car boot sailing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He does the same thing. And, uh, I mean, I literally went on, uh, what day is it? It's, it's Monday. So I went yesterday, um, two hours, car boot sale. Spent three hundred ninety. I think I totaled it out yesterday. Three hundred ninety-seven pounds I spent, but I picked up fourteen hundred seventy-five pounds worth of goods, which will go into Amazon, go onto eBay. So there's over a thousand pounds there. Okay, I've got some fees to come off of that, but there's over a thousand pounds there in two hours. Now anyone can do, anyone could do the same. You just got to build up a little bit of knowledge of what sells, and that, I've only done that over the last three months. Um, so anyone that's Know, needs a bit of extra cash then why why not go and do it you go out it's, you don't even have to know that much because you just scan everything yeah barcode i'll just scan it with the amazon app see it sells for 16 pounds how much you want for that three pounds okay great pick it up send it <laughs> off that's it it doesn't take that much time um realistically over this over this year if it's taken more than two hours a day average i'll be amazed um so anyone could do it around their, their job as well Wow. And you know, that's, it, it's kind of a, a great way, like you said earlier, to go back to basics of like selling, negotiating, hustling, doing things. So yeah, I think for people listening, it, you know, if you ever kind of want to take that jump back and maybe, maybe this is what's going to get you out of your job instead of property, you know, it, it all depends on what people want, but there's, there's a strategy here, right? Um, And so you also own a gym and you're also a coach, right? So how do you balance all of these things, like, do you leverage, like, is your gym fully managed? And like, how do you manage all these things and leverage? So yeah, the gym's fully autonomous. So it runs itself. It has done from probably about, it's been open 10 years now. And um, from probably about 18 months in, um, it's, it's been fully, fully managed really. So it's, uh, that's, that's a pretty, it just runs itself nicely that, that business. Um, the, the coaching side of it, I, I don't do as much as I used to because because of this challenge. Um, 
but um, I mean, for example, we've got this, this new build scheme. We need to take, I think, twelve lorries worth of, of dirt out. Um, so I've then I've then ch- uh, ch- uh, swapped that for a haulage guy that I've met uh, to remove the dirt for one hour's coaching. So every every load he takes, I give him one hour's coaching. So it's a great way of getting the build cost down, and um, and just still keeping an eye in keeping an eye on with that but uh i find i find that side of it really enjoyable because it's it's good i like problem solving and helping others uh problem solve as well is is phenomenal and um it's it'll be really good and i've got uh, i'm actually doing a talk in um i think it's uh, the week after next for um candor the uh the networking group, which you have to be a member of. And uh, I think it's 175 people I'm going to be talking about this challenge and uh, how how it's going to, because I'm hoping by the time I get there, I'm going to have this property deal where I'm working on signed up. So technically it goes into property finally. But um, it's a it's a great way of giving people the idea that you can actually do this stuff. And that's why I wanted to spread the word on that. Um, just to show that it can be done. And as you say, Gary V always says, buy stuff, sell it for more. Simple. And it is it, it is that simple and it, it's not that complicated. Yeah. And so, it's scalable as well. It definitely is. And so on that note, what do you think stops most people from taking action in anything? Property, business, buying and selling, what do you think is that stops them? Um, I think... One of the, the biggest things I have is I'll need if I think of something I'll try and do it immediately because then I'll forget about it. And um, it was towards the end of last year that I was literally having this debate with this guy, and I thought that's it. I'm just gonna I'm gonna try this challenge, and um, I think it's important just to take action immediately if you, if you can. And I get some people you know they've got they've got work, they've got family, etc. And you know we all have, but you. Some people, as again, as Gary V says, I watch all this stuff. He says, you say you haven't got time, but you've got four hours to watch TV, etc. He always knows an American show, but it's it's very true. Like if you just cut out some of that sort of stuff, then and just, but but I enjoy this side of it. So rather than I enjoy it more than watching TV, so I'd rather sit on eBay trying to buy a job a lot or something, and then. Sell it. I mean, some sometimes I'll buy stuff on eBay and sell it back on eBay for more money. It's, it, but it, it can be done. And um, I always call TK Max the cash point because I'll go past and think I need to withdraw a hundred pounds. I'll go in there, scan a load of stuff, and then stick it into Amazon and get the money. And uh, it's, it can be done. The retail arbitrage is there to be done, and uh, it's it's just about taking action at the end of the day. And you have to be. You have to be passionate enough to change. You know, if someone doesn't enjoy their job, then you have to do something about it. It's not going to change itself. So. Absolutely, things are not going to change themselves. You need to change things. Uh, is what is the message people should take from that? Awesome. Uh, if there was one piece of technology or an app or a resource that you could not live without, what would it be? Amazon Seller Central, definitely, because. Because you can, I can literally scan stuff and see what they sell for in this challenge, and uh, that's and it's the main focus I've got at the moment. So it's uh, it's, it's definitely worth having. Okay, so Amazon Seller Central, and that's an app, right? That's right. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, and, and is it built for people who are doing this essentially? 
Exactly, yeah. So you have to set up a business account, but um, it's effectively the same as eBay has a scanner on it as well. You can scan into eBay, but I find for someone like me that doesn't have that much time, Amazon is better because you effectively send, I would send all the stuff I bought yesterday, for example, it all sat here in a box behind me. I'll send all of that to Amazon and then Amazon deal with all the customer service on the back end. So it's called Amazon FBA Fulfillment by Amazon. So effectively, I just ship one box into them, and over the next few months when that stuff sells, they'll send it on my behalf so I don't have to go to the post office or do anything like that. It's very autonomous, It's um, and it's it's Amazon's the biggest marketplace in the world at the end of the day, and the stuff will sell, but um, you just got to get it in there. You just, got, you just got to get the stuff to them, and uh, that, that's your job done. And then we just wait, just wait for the sales to happen and the, the money to come back. Okay, awesome. Um, and this brings us to the last part of the show. Unfortunately, I think it's been a very interesting journey talking through your uh, your career in property and your businesses and all the things you're doing. So, before we go to the quick fire round, what are you doing next in property? What's on the horizon? Uh, the next one is well, obviously we've got this this monastery build to come up. Um, that's that's going to be a good one, and then we're going back into planning to increase the escape from sixteen properties to twenty four, um, which both of those are going to be one's going to be a massive capital gain, and the other one's going to be massive for cash flow. So I'm always going to I'm going to keep the focus on always running these tandem deals to give me a balanced portfolio. Okay, awesome, and and, uh, and the. The one passion that I really want to do is build um, build a villa in, in Marbella. Um, so I'm looking for a plot out there at the moment. Awesome. Cool. So uh, what quick fire round now. So just real quick kind of okay. one sentence answers. What are three pieces of advice that you would give to someone who's new in property? Uh, keep networking. Tell everyone what you do. And leverage as much as possible. Okay. And what are the biggest three mistakes that you've made in property? Um, biggest three mistakes. Probably not giving myself enough exits on the early deals. Relying on relying on JV partners um, 100%. So you need to sometimes you do need to check up on them and uh, make sure stuff's getting done. And what other challenge and mistake? Let's think. Um, I think um, I think not not managing my cash flow as well in the early days um, could have caught me out if I if I wasn't more creative. But it, luckily, I had some good relationships to pull some money in quickly. But you could easily get caught out and not managing your cash flow. Awesome. And then lastly, what are three tips for people to find investors? Again, t- tell everyone what you do because if, if you don't tell them what you do, they're not going to find them. Um, it, some investors are people that you know already and uh, you just got to put a good case into them. And you know, Some of the, some of the people I've got money from, I thought I had no money, but I told, them what I, t- told them what I was doing and then suddenly they pull a load of cash out and um, that, that, that comes from telling everyone what you do. And... Um, I think um, having good social media presence as well is is massive, and I've tried to do that over the last last year. Just try and build sort of brand awareness, etc. And um, you, you mentioned there wasn't much property on my personal page, but I have a property page as well. So I try and keep try and keep it quite broad. But I've had a lot of um, investors come through social media. Hmm. 
Amazing. And if people want to get hold of you, how should they do it? Um, so Instagram is the main thing I use, which is uh, Taylor Entrepreneur. Um, the same on YouTube, but uh, that they're, they're the main sort of forums. Always looking at this stuff, and uh, I'm always responding to messages and uh, try and help wherever I can on that on those mediums. Amazing, Paul. Thank you so much for coming on the Test Talks podcast. I think it's been very, very interesting, and there's a lot of value that people are going to take from this. So yeah, we'll have to get you on in a couple of months or so and, and see how things have progressed. That'd be great. Thank you very much for having me. If you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.